Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another beautiful episode of Witchy Wellness Radio. Again, I am your host, Lauren Chalantani, and this is a show you learn how your body and emotions are not in the way they are really leading the way. And today, we are talking all things ancestral healing, intuitive eating, and rituals for nervous system regulation, which we all need to do. We're going to be talking with Lisa Maze, a holistic nutritionist, health coach, herbalist, and a parent who homesteads on the traditional lands of the Abenaki people in Vermont. Lisa immigrated to the United States from Italy as a teen and is passionate about helping clients and students find their roots and reconnect to earth. And we're going to be talking about all of that and so much more today. I'm so excited, Lisa, to have you on the show, a fellow Italian here. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. I love how you combine the intuitive eating, the ancestral healing with nervous system regulation because it's here on Witchy Wellness. We love that holistic approach. It's not just one thing. It's looking at everything, mind, body, and soul. And I know that realization didn't happen overnight for so many of us. There's these breadcrumbs. Sometimes there's big awakening moments. But I would love to hear, could you tell us kind of your own heroine's journey, hero's journey of what led you to do this work today to help guide people through their own ancestral healing, intuitive eating, and beautiful rituals to really regulate their nervous systems? Absolutely. So this has really been a lifelong journey for me. Um, I was so blessed to grow up in Italy with a big family and a grandmother who is one of my heroes and truly was a wealth of information. So she was taking us out into the woods, wild crafting for mushrooms and berries. And we made a lot of herbal preparations together. And then we either were harvesting or gleaning food from our gardens or nearby orchards and making everything you can imagine from scratch, right? Anything from jam to bread to sausage to sauerkraut, freshly milled flour from buckwheat, pretty much anything you can imagine, right? And this, I'm not talking about ancient times, right? I'm 44. So this was not that long ago. And I feel as though when I came to the States, I had this vision of what it looks like to come from an ancestral intact culture into one that is a mosaic of so many different cultures, right? And that also has a history of oppression. And certainly Italy has that as well, but it's older in certain ways, right? People have been on Italian soil really permanently and less nomadically for many centuries. Coming to the States, I really became a food activist right at the beginning. I remember going into a grocery store and saying, well, where's the food? Because everything was in, in packages and there weren't any farmers with the food telling us how they grew the food or why it was meaningful to them. So that was very confusing to me. Nobody seemed to have gardens, food gardens or herb gardens. And so I started really having friends over teaching them how to make food from scratch and 
Then that led me to visiting a lot of parts of the United States and trying to figure out, okay, where are the roots traditions, the indigenous traditions in the United States? I found that a lot in the Southwest and lived with um, Northern New Mexican Pueblo folks. I lived with Diné folks, also known as Navajo. And I eventually settled in Vermont, not only because it's a small state where a lot of people have this passion about clean food and clean water, but also because the ecosystem is actually really similar to the one where I grew up. So I was, you know, walking in the woods when I first came to Vermont and finding old friends, finding chanterelles or finding wintergreen or sorrel or all different kinds of plant friends which is really what drew me to this area. And it's also a really potent place for healing. So I, as a college student, I spent a lot of time learning from the world, traveling the world, and it led me to start a business in Indonesia. I lived in Indonesia off and on for four years and contracted intestinal parasites, amoebas that kind of kept getting worse and worse the more I exposed myself to this wonderful and beautiful ecosystem and culture and microbiome that wasn't mine. And so eventually I had to sell my business. I had to stop everything I was doing and go into a healing process. It took me four years to actually figure out that I had parasites. And through that process of really shutting everything down in my life and turning within, I was able to return to these traditions and practices with which I was raised and expand on what my grandmother had taught me in order to heal myself. And the whole arc of that parasite journey was 10 years and I came out of it with such a breadth of knowledge that I then wanted to share with others. Since then, I've been on many other healing journeys, disordered eating, infertility, autoimmune disorders, thyroiditis, and I've, I've always seen them as challenging as they are as a blessing because they're teaching me through my body how to be able to be of service to others through the foods and the plants and the practices that heal me time and again. Hmm. And here we are. Here we are. Such a beautiful story. And yeah, thinking about the U.S. In particular, it's this melting pot of so many cultures. The ancestral part of that is really, it's a big soup, right? How really? do we start to dive into that? Like, one side of my family is like 100% Italian and Irish clear the other side has been here literally since 10 years after the mayflower so it's like this melting pot and so how if we don't have those tangible roots how do you how can you start to incorporate that wisdom into your day-to-day -day life absolutely it's a great question i talk about this a lot in my book which is the culinary pharmacy and available anywhere books are sold and i think people connect often ancestral healing with practices that are happening today in the lands where their ancestors are from. And some of those practices and foods absolutely may, may feel supportive, 
And I think it's important to trace back to those lands where your ancestors lived and did their work and passed away and think about, okay, what foods were growing wild in those places indigenously, right? And in my book, I have a map of the origins of the food crops from all over the world, which is really fascinating. And you can see in Northern Europe, for example, there are a lot of lentils that grew wild, different grass family grains like wheat ancestors that grew wild. And so I think doing a little bit of that tracing back, not only around foods, but also around healing modalities of the people who are a toxinous to those areas. So not just indigenous in the sense that this is where this group of people ended up, but a toxinous in the sense of this is the first place we ever saw this group of people springing forth. And then finding out, okay, what were these folks' ritual practices? What were their healing practices? Did they have a master plant that they worked with that was truly a cure-all, for example, right? Or what were some of the wild foods that they learned to harvest to nourish themselves? So I'm talking way back. And I think that's a reminder that ultimately we're all connected as humans. And yes, of course, we've become so individuated. And there's also this process of coming back together that's happening. And I think knowing truly what our heritage is, exploring some of those traditional practices, traditional foods, and then listening inside and seeing kind of what lands and what resonates that helps us probably even beyond a DNA test to say, I do identify more with my Irish side or my French side, right? Or whatever it might be. So that's a process that I think can be really interesting and really empowering and also builds tolerance and understanding for all different kinds of people. Yeah, now that you say that, <laughs> I'm mostly Irish. My last name is Italian, but I resonate so much with potatoes. They are so healing. I could, if I had to choose one food for me, that's what it would be. They're grounding, they're nourishing, they're it just you feel that that internal part of you, that soul level. It's just thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I can relate. Maybe maybe you guys can Listeners think about certain foods that you really like, and they might end up actually aligning ancestrally with your own heritage and such. So that's, I've thought about, I've gone through health coaching school many moons ago about eating like with your own region where you live now. But what you're talking about is working with the ancestral, and, and it doesn't sound like it has to be very specific, just, just general parts of the world that you're working with those energies. I really like that concept with the healing food and then also the, the rituals too, which I would love to dive into. So what, give us some examples of some rituals maybe that you worked with indigenous to Italy. That's like a gateway to people. Rituals can mean so many things and they're so beautiful. Absolutely. And that word from the Latin just means to do again 
And the way we relate to our everyday activities can either feel onerous and like a task, or it can feel nourishing and like a support. And I feel like when we infuse them with this awareness of ritual and this awareness of the sacredness of what we're doing, these ordinary tasks do feel more uplifting and more nourishing. And then when we can ground them into things like what I grew up with, which is the wheel of the year. So thinking about the seasons and seasonal changes and things that we might do differently during different seasons or foods that we might eat during different seasons, that can be so grounding and just really help us connect to nature, which is actually our true original ancestral essence. And that can feel so potent. And I think when something becomes ritualized and sacred, there's this element of repetition but repetition that gets us into what's in like a trendy health space now called a flow state, but essentially a state of timelessness where we're not attached to machine time, to the clock, where we're just attached to this is how long it takes to stir the apricot jam and honey until it cooks down into the right consistency, right? And when there's space and time allowed for timelessness, I think that any activity can become a ritual when it's repeated. And I think for me, remembering certain rituals that happened at very specific times of year with seasonal shifts is really powerful because it's just a way of reminding us that time is circular and cyclical, and it's not linear. Um, so I always loved on November 1st, which is All Souls Day in Italy, how we would go and walk from very Catholic upbringing, right? We'd walk from the church downtown in our little town with our Mary statue and parade her up to the little chapel at the top of the hill where the town cemetery is. And that would be her winter home. And it was a beautiful kind of silent procession and ritual of putting that statue in its spot for the winter. And then always, as Italians like to do, going home and having a big family feast. That's also the time of year because of the Mediterranean climate being warm that the harvest is happening. And often the feasts at that time of year are happening at farms. So people will go on All Souls Day and help with whatever last cleanup needs to happen in the fields. If any slaughtering needs to happen, maybe they're helping with winemaking. And then people sit down and eat food together. That's very much from the land. So that's really one of my favorites from that's, growing up. And I love what you brought up, that these rituals remind us that time is secular and that it's timelessness. That's, for me, that every time I've had some kind of a divine experience, connection to love or higher self, whatever you want to call it, 
time time doesn't exist, right? It's a construct in this world and this reality. And these rituals are there to remind us to shift from the mundane of life into the mystical. I, I, I will always think of that kind of shift. The things that you got to do, like you were saying, making jam as an example. Maybe we won't do, we don't do that so much in modern day life all the time, but these mundane, even brushing your teeth, things that we do every day, how can we shift our perspective into the more mystical? And I love the concept of rituals throughout our life, different transitions into um, initiations, into different chapters of our lives which was such a part of indigenous culture. So I would love to hear your take on that from childhood to womanhood. The menarch, the first period for a lot of women is this huge celebration. And today it's you're starting to see things like period parties become popularized a little bit again. But overall, I don't think we've lost that part in our modern day culture. That's right. And I think this loss or this forgetting is so connected to our nervous systems and our nervous systems being chronically activated and chronically hyper aware of everything that we're taking in, all the stimuli that we're constantly taking in, right? How can there be space for timelessness and for initiations and rites of passage when the nervous system is causing us to be out of our bodies. And that's something that to me is so powerful about ritual, because as you say, it's both mystical and connected to the divine and totally embodied and connected to this is what's happening right now, right? And connected to often really simple things like being around a fire and singing a song. I think that's such a traditional ritual and rites of passage ritual and inviting whomever is going through the rites of passage to walk toward the fire and the people singing the song and then having people welcome that person into the circle as this initiated, transformed version of themselves. And something as simple as that can feel so profound because there's a slowing of time and because there's this attention to the fact that we are mystical beings in a body. And we have to allow our nervous systems to slow down and come down into our bodies in order to actually experience the mystical which is so fascinating and so real. And I think why the more we build in little rituals, um, yeah, the more we benefit from a nervous system perspective, from a community connection perspective, from an ecosystem support perspective. And I'm seeing the connections between the ancestral healing, intuitive eating, rituals for nervous system regulation. If you, we've tied them together through the conversation from your perspective, this is what you do. This is how you help people. How can you, how do you really see all of those kind of interconnected and and woven together? I think one wonderful example is something that is a cultural practice all over the world which is to offer gratitude before a meal, right? 
And likely, if you trace back into your ancestry, you'll find a group of people who probably did that with every meal. And what happens? It's something that happens at every meal or maybe every family meal, right? This practice is repeated over and over again. It's a ritual. It has these mystical words that somehow connect us to the divine or to concepts that are esoteric, right? Even gratitude. I can't pick up a piece of gratitude, right? But it's everywhere. So the words of some kind of invocation or prayer or gratitude offering bring about that mystical and the repetition and the familiarity is the ritual that then literally shifts the nervous system from the sympathetic activated to the parasympathetic ready for rest and digest mode. And then we're able to meet our meal with that appreciation for all that it took to get that food to us, not only those who grew it and those who processed it, but also the work that it took for us to have the alchemy happen to transform ingredients into a meal. And there you have that weaving of the ancestral, the ritual, the nervous system, and Even on a deeper level, if I'm able to name, like you said, there are potatoes in this meal, and these are part of my ancestral nourishment and ancestral healing, right? Or it's like whenever we eat pasta at home, my kids are like, this is because we're real Italians, which is adorable because they also just love pasta. And they're feeling that vibrational energy of the ancestral healing. and. I think that is then a pathway to developing intuition around what's needed in a given moment, whether it's a food or an activity or a way of breathing. We can't truly hear our intuition unless we're in our bodies. So I think starting with those mystical practices that get us out of the thinking brain, the survival brain, and into who we are as consciousness, that actually settles our nervous system so that we can be in our bodies. And then the intuitive piece can unfold. And it doesn't have to be a huge, the gratitude piece before you eat. For me, it's just taking a few deep breaths and slowing yeah. down. So whatever resonates for, for you. And it's about for me, the feeling of it. It doesn't matter what I say or do. It's just getting into that state. And that's practice for everyday life of catching yourself when you're off in your head and out of your body. Oh, I'm not feeling that gratitude. Okay, let's slow it down. Let's bring it back. Slow my breath down. But a beautiful way to practice that is what, how you help people is connecting to your intuition around your food choices. Like everybody eats. Every we have right now as well. There's a few people that I know of that are breathitarians that don't eat, but for the majority of us, <laughs> we eat, and it's a beautiful vehicle. And my experience too is using that as a gateway to work with my intuition to develop that muscle. So could you start to t- we touched on it, but those two going hand in hand, developing your intuition muscle around your food and therefore in your entire life too. 
Absolutely. I think, as you said, food is a wonderful way to practice because most of us eat every day. And eating is actually a way that we do become embodied and we do become grounded if we allow ourselves to do right. In today's culture, so many people are eating on the go or eating while they're doing something else. Growing up, that was like unheard of, right? No way you would ever do that. And I, I still am not accustomed to that. I, that's just something that's ingrained in my nervous system is I need to sit down and eat my food. So I think that's an incredible way to start. And then to be aware, right? To start with this concept of interoception, which is the body telling us, oh, that food is hot. That food is cold. Or I feel hot or cold. Or wait, I'm eating, but I need to pee. Or just all of the ways our body's always communicating with us. I think that's a wonderful way to start and to honor whatever the body's noticing, right? There may be an emotion tied to that interoception. I'll use my children again as an example. I see that all the time. It's like serving them something that I think is a good temperature for me. And my little guy is, oh, that's way too hot. And I'm like, okay. Yes, I hear you. And I respect that, right? So his interoception is saying, no, nope, we need to wait. We need to wait for this to cool down. And I really honor that because so many times that is shut down. And then it makes it harder to get to our intuition, right? It's, this soup is burning my mouth, but everyone else is eating it. So I guess I should eat it too. No. Interoception is saying, just wait, just let it cool down to the way that you need it to be. And then the feeling that comes with that is actually the beginning of cultivating intuition, right? I need my soup to be cooler because who knows why, right? Maybe I burned my mouth on a cup of tea and that was a little tiny trauma, but that was a trauma. And so now I'm learning to let my intuition hold me in that way so that I don't keep re-experiencing that trauma, right? And so when we start to think about those examples with food, we start to see, as you say, how there can be ripple effects into everything in life, right? And just like with a muscle or a ritual or chopping a vegetable, the more we practice, the more we cultivate, the more we hear that emotion that's attached with our interoception, which truly is our intuition, and then follow it, the more that comes forward and informs how we're moving through the world. Yes, yes. Oh, I love this. And so much of what, you know, what I'm hearing, experiencing from you is it's just bringing it back to being present of your body. What is it communicating with you in a multitude of different ways? And my own healing journey, gut health, 
huge impact because not only on my emotions, the hormones, we can't even produce a lot of the happy, feel-good emotions if we're not fueling our bodies and our guts correctly. So this, everything we've talked about today is so healing and is this holistic approach. But I would love to hear your perspective on this nervous system regulation. How does that impact our, our overall gut health, which is a huge indicator of our overall wellness too? It's everything ultimately, because we have a nervous system that lives in our gut, right? The enteric nervous system. And that nervous system is essentially produced by our gut bacteria primarily in our large intestine. And those hormones that are produced through that nervous system are responsible for both our activated and our relaxed nervous system. The majority of serotonin and dopamine are produced in the gut. The majority of epinephrine and norepinephrine are produced in the gut. And interestingly, some of those hormones can transform too, just like our nervous system regulates like dopamine, relaxation hormone can become epinephrine, stress hormone, if our environment is stressed, or if we eat something that feels triggering or hard to digest. So truly gut health and nervous system health are deeply interlinked. And then there's the vagus nerve, which is another hot topic right now. And rightfully, it's our first cranial nerve that goes into our brainstem, which is our survival brain. And on its way to the brainstem, the vagus nerve touches every single one of our organs and checks in. Hey, how are you, liver? How are you, kidneys? How are you, large intestine, heart, all of it, right? And if the vagus nerve gets a message from the large intestine, where the enteric nervous system is secreting all of these stress and relaxation hormones, if it picks up a stress message, it's going to then send that message to all the other organs as it travels up and then send that message to the brain. And the brain is going to shut things down. And we're not going to digest our food, right? And so it's a continuous feedback loop. And ultimately, the more that we feed our gut microbiome, which is in big part who we are, right? Not so much our personalities. The more kind of tools our enteric nervous system has to work with, the more variety of colonies of gut bacteria it has to work with to secrete these hormones so that we can better regulate our nervous system and send the proper messages to the vagus nerve. Beautiful. I know we talked off air uh, on one of our previous podcast episodes that Lisa was listening to was with this founder of a probiotic company. And so if you want to hear, listen to more about this specific, that's a beautiful episode to dive into probably about five or 10 episodes earlier than this one will be released. But it's so amazing that to me, it blew my mind that I think it's something around like three, at least three times foreign cells in our body than our actual, our own cells, if you will, between our microbiome and all of these beautiful organisms that are helping us. So it's like you said, is it our personality or is it something else? Which is interesting to think about when you get into all of this because you go, oh, okay. 
uh, this is a different way than I thought I was. It's not just me. It's really this microcosm, my own universe, if you will, inside of my body. That's right. And it's all connected because we have an enteric type too, just like we have a blood type. And so not everybody has the same collection of gut bacteria. And there are groups of people, and this is still being mapped, but there's a sense that enteric types do track to different parts of the world. So there's likely an ancestral component to our gut type. And so likely nervous system patterns related to the lands that we're from that are literally patterned into our DNA and our gut microbiome. So it's all connected. It's all connected. Oh, wow. I'm like, I feel myself going down a research hole now after learning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on here and sharing your wisdom and your own ancestral healing with us all. Was there anything else that you feel called that you want to speak about or wrap up before we start to close the show out today? Again, if you're interested in all of these topics and diving in more, it's all in my book, The Culinary Pharmacy. And I invite you to get a copy or gift a copy to a loved one and dive into your own ancestral healing journey. Beautiful. And all those things will be in the show notes. So you guys can just click away. But thank you again so much for being on here. It was such an honor holding this space with you today. And how may we as the listeners, as a huge act of gratitude, be of service for you in return today? I really encourage you to, next time you're buying food, tune in to the produce section or the bulk section or the meat section And pick something that resonates intuitively. It doesn't have to make sense. You don't have to know that there's an ancestral connection. But pick that food and prepare it, even on its own. And give yourself the experience of tasting it and eating it in a slow, timeless way. And see what comes up for you. Beautiful. I love a little experimentation going on here but thank you again Lisa for coming on here and it's such an honor it's my pleasure thank you so much for having me